Can I lower it down? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, a reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will, laid, will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Victoria. It's a beautiful passage of scripture, isn't it? So, so encouraging. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence this morning to sit at your feet, please speak to us, each one, through your word and by your spirit. Reveal yourself. Soften our hard hearts. Humble us of our pride. Help me, Lord, to faithfully proclaim this beautiful passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, friends, today I'd like to share a very simple message. No tricks, no fancy footwork, no difficult concepts to grapple with, just the pure milk of God's word on the subject of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking with God, praising him, thanking him, calling on his name, seeking his face, confessing our sins, asking for his help in our lives. We see all of this in today's psalm. According to J. Oswald Sanders, prayer is the most ancient, most universal, most intense expression of the religious instinct. He says it touches infinite extremes, for it is at once both the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try and the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Some poetry for you. The simplest form of speech that infant lips can try and the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. It is indeed the Christian's breath and native air. It's a rich definition of prayer. Prayer is a living conversation with the Lord. And instinctively, we know it should be a vital part of our daily Christian walk. And yet often, we find it a struggle. It's true, isn't it? We know we ought to say with King David, as he does in verse 1, I'll extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. But instead, our prayers, if we're honest with ourselves, are often shallow, faltering and inconsistent. I find myself saying, O Lord, teach me to pray. Prayerlessness should be an impossibility in the Christian life. Shouldn't it? And yet it happens. And to our shame, it can happen to us. But to be a prayerless Christian is to starve yourself of the oxygen that your soul needs to breathe. What did Oswald Sanders say? The Christian's breath and native air. According to Stanley Grentz, the greatest challenge facing the Church of Jesus Christ today is, the greatest challenge is motivating the people of God to pray and to do so sincerely, honestly and fervently. I think those words are true for us as a church. True for me. I've been challenged And I hope that you will be today. The greatest challenge facing the church of Jesus Christ today is motivating the people of God to pray and to do so sincerely, honestly and fervently. The truth is we pray too little. We pray too little as individuals. We certainly pray too little as a church. That we should pray is something we all agree on. That we may pray is something we know is a privilege that belongs to us in Christ, but that we do pray regularly and consistently, well, that's the challenge, isn't it? I don't want to guilt trip you this morning. 
But for those of us who struggle to pray consistently, something must change. We need help. We need God to place a hunger for prayer in our hearts that we might want to pray. This is a dangerous idea. God is gracious. He's been teaching me lately that I also need a refresher course in prayer. And so we come to our passage today. Psalm 34 is a prayerful song, a prayerful song written by King David in a time in his life that was very stressful for him, a very stressful time in his life. This was before he became the king of Israel, when he was in mortal danger from King Saul, who was hunting David down. So David fled to the land of the Philistines, to the city of Gath. And maybe he thought he'd be safer in enemy territory. But the king of Gath suspected David was an Israelite spy, so now he was in more danger than ever, as you can see at the top of the psalm. I asked Victoria to read the superscription, the words that say of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, also called Akish, who drove him away and he left. What's this about? Well, if you have a look in the book of 1 Samuel, it tells us the story of David's near-death experience in the kingdom of Gath. But when David realised that his identity was known, he panicked. And in order to escape, he feigned insanity. And it says that he let his saliva run down his beard. <laughs> There's a war. <laughs> He's got that dribble going. And when the king saw this dribbling mess of a man standing in front of him, he was horrified. And he said to his servants, look at the man. He's mad. Why do you bring him here to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? He's crazy. It's almost funny, isn't it? Probably wasn't funny at the time for David, but looking back at it, let's just say it wasn't David's finest hour. But by his quick thinking, he was able to escape, and in the process, God taught him a valuable lesson in prayer, which is that God delights to answer the prayers of the humble poor. And so we notice in verse 6, David says, This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. I think that's a wonderful verse. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. So that brings me to my first point for today, looking at verses 1 to 7. Praise the Lord that he should delight to answer the prayers of the humble poor. This poor man called and the Lord heard him, for such was David's need at the time. Who were the humble poor? Were the humble poor an important group of people in the Bible? They're despised in the eyes of the world, but in God's sight, they are highly esteemed. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the earth. And he was referring to the humble poor, that is, those who have a humble and honest appreciation of their own spiritual bankruptcy, their own need for salvation. And yet, for that very reason, for the same time, they are blessed by God. 
As Christians, we would say they are rich in Christ, for they delight in the Lord, and they find their strength and riches in him. They do not fear the trials of this life, for their hope is in the new creation, in Christ Jesus. It's like the story that Jesus told, which was also our kids' talk today, of those two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. And Jesus said when the Pharisee stood up to pray, he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He prayed about himself ticking off the boxes of all the good things he did. What a good man. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can see the difference between these two prayers. They're just... Universes apart. One man prays about himself, thinks that he's in God's good books, whereas the other man won't even look up to heaven but beasts his breast and cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One is convinced that he's rich toward God, but he's actually poor. The other knows he's poor, and God is pleased to make him rich, for he goes home justified before God. He is the humble poor in Jesus' story. So let's now hear again the opening words of Psalm 34. David says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted, the humble poor, hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David loves the Lord. And in Psalm 34, he takes that love to an extra level. For he even manages to arrange the words of each verse so that the psalm runs through the whole Hebrew alphabet in the correct order from A to Z, as it were. That's not easy to do. Write a psalm of praise to the Lord where each verse starts with the next letter of the alphabet. That's what David has done. It's called an acrostic poem. And it's an impossible trick to translate from Hebrew into English, but I think it adds to the psalm a a sense of added grandeur. Even in the translation, you do get a sense of the beauty and the depth of wonder and awe that David has as he pours out his love and gratitude to God in this most creative way. What inspired this work of poetic genius from David's heart? Well, the answer you'll find in verse 4. What does it say? I sought the Lord and he answered me. Simple as that. Answered prayer. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's beautiful, isn't it? What fears do you have at the moment? Things in your life that you can't control, things you're worried about. God knows we have our anxieties, our worries, our challenges in life. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And it strikes me that's kind of ironic because there was David at that time with the spittle dribbling down his beard. His face was covered in shame. But now that he's realised his anchor in the Lord, he's able to say their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Well, there's a promise. I love the exultant optimism of this psalm. It's grounded in the reality of troubled times, but it rises above them, doesn't it? It just lifts the soul from whatever sadness or trouble or fear we may have. David's experience comes alive in our imagination. Basically, David is over the moon as the knowledge of God's kindness to him strikes home. It's the power of answered prayer. And he is hymning and praising God for it in our psalm today. He's saying to us, you've got to try this for yourself. If only you'd talk to God in prayer more often. If only you'd trust him at his word and love him as you ought, then I promise you, you won't be disappointed because God is faithful and he will keep his promises to you. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. This is David's testimony. What the Lord did for me, he can also do for you. And by the way, David's experience is consistent with the promise of God's word throughout the scriptures. So to give you two examples, to Chronicles 7.14, one of the most uh, powerful and potent passages on this topic in the Old Testament, for the Lord says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That promise holds true. Isn't this a prayer that we need to bring before the Lord? Of course, it has conditions in it. If, if my people who are called by my name, you Christians called by the name of Christ, will humble themselves and pray. When a prayer meeting is called, will you come? And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Will you prioritise your life according to the values that Christ has set for us to follow? Or are you too busy to pray? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. My God, our nation needs this. But it has to start with us. Or again, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? (laughs) Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, ask him. That's the promise. Prayer is powerful because the Lord delights to answer the prayers of the humble poor. That's my first point for today. If you're willing to pray with a humble heart, to seek his face and turn from your wicked ways then God promises to hear from heaven and answer in a way that he knows is best because that's what he has promised to do. Now let's move on to my second point in this lesson on prayer in verses 8 to 16. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Reading from verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I love those words. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an invitation, surely, that is too good to refuse. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You can test it yourself. You can bring your prayers before the Lord. If you're not a Christian, then this passage invites you to enjoy the blessings of Christ, perhaps for the very first time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you are a Christian, it's an invitation to come back for more, to renew your love and your walk with Jesus. Come back for seconds and thirds. It's interesting, you've seen the uh, revival that's broken out in America. One of the universities over there had a regular church meeting. Uh, It hasn't shut. The meeting has kept going now for about two weeks. Uh, 24 hours a day, people have been coming to that church. Uh, They were astonished. It began with one, uh, one young man confessing his sins, his brokenness before the Lord, and the atmosphere changed in the church and there was a movement of the spirit and it's continuing on and one of those uh, young people said this very thing taste and see that the Lord is good prayer is a doorway to the banquet room of God feast your soul on the blessings of Christ on his love, his goodness, his mercy his truth and then come before the Lord and seek him in prayer Oh Lord, reveal yourself. Show me your ways that I may walk in them. Lead me to the cross where my Saviour's blood was shed. Bring me to the place where my life was purchased and my soul was set free. May the fear of the Lord be the key that opens your treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let the lost be found in you. Let those who fear you continue in the land as long as the sun and moon endure. John Bunyan says true prayer is a sincere, affectionate pouring out of the heart before God or to God through Christ. 
True prayer is a sincere, affectionate pouring out of the heart to God through Christ. Another wonderful definition of prayer. So if your prayer life is dry, and you don't know what to say or where to begin, or if your mind is blank, or you're feeling lost and discouraged, or you feel embarrassed to pray in public, or whatever it is, don't give up, don't run away. Turn back to God and learn to pray. Listen to what David says in verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In today's context, he might as well have said, I'll teach you how to pray. I'll give you a right attitude to the Lord. I'll help you to understand his character, his nature, his purposes. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. And as I do so, you will long to pray. His advice is to turn your eyes to the Lord and learn what it means to fear him. As Christians, we sometimes say, turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. There's a song that goes like that. It amounts to much the same thing. I'd say today what you need to do is open your Bible, read God's word, find Christ in his word. As you read it, mark it, memorize it, meditate on it. Search for God's promises as we're doing today. Soak in his love, marvel in his goodness, and then turn it all back to him in prayer. That's what David does in verses 12 to 16. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, he's reflected on God's word and God's character. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Peter translates this, their ears, his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off their memory from the earth. There are consequences to prayerlessness, as well as blessings to those who pray. As I say, these verses are also found in the writings of the Apostle Peter in the first letter of Peter, 1, chapter, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and I think this really, this, this duplication of this passage is one of many proofs you can find in the Bible that we're dealing with the Bible as one word of the one God. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament and that he is the same Lord yesterday, today and forever. So when you pray, today you pray to God as Father in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. But when you pray, pray with boldness, because God is your Father. And the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he taught them our Father. Those were the first words he said, Abba, Father, Daddy. So personal. And you can pray to God at any time about anything. So you can pray for the world, you can pray for your family, you can pray for yourself, yes. And pray for revival in this land of Australia, that God would turn the hearts of many back to Christ in these dark and uncertain times. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off their memory from the earth. And now to finish up for today, my final point, taken... As my heading, the last part of verse 22, no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. 
Now that is a great promise. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. That means you and me if we take refuge in Jesus, in the Lord. You might be feeling wretched as you sit here today. I don't know, perhaps God has dragged you by the throat or the collar to bring you and put your bum on the seat here in church. You're thinking, why am I here today? Perhaps this is the reason to hear these words. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Maybe you've made choices that have filled your heart with regret. You've become angry and arrogant and proud and disillusioned. Well, my child, listen to me and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Maybe you've stumbled and lost your footing as a Christian. It's not too late to turn back to him in repentance and humble prayer for no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Look at verse 17. The righteous cry out, cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Are you crushed in spirit today? If you are... Christ, who is your life, knows how you feel and he is near to you. In verse 19, notice there is a word of prophecy here about the kind of agonies that Jesus will suffer for you on the cross. For he is the righteous man par excellence. None of us measure up to the righteousness of God, only one, Jesus. And so while this applies in a general sense to all of us, it applies especially to Jesus. Verse 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And it's interesting, the Apostle John in his gospel refers to this very verse. He knew this psalm and he quotes this verse. He says in chapter 19 of his gospel that when the soldiers came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And then he says, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So it is a prophetic verse also about the Lord Jesus. And as you read on, you realise this psalm keeps growing in magnificence and growing in significance the more you read it. it. It is giving us a lesson in prayer, yes, but its subject matter really spans the whole breadth of the gospel and it foreshadows the saving work of Jesus on the cross. It is such a rich source of inspiration for our faith. And so as I finish today, I want to encourage you as sincerely and honestly and fervently as I can to commit yourself or recommit yourself to prayer. To lay hold of the living God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. To cry out to him as your father 
to speak to him about all the matters that are on your heart, to draw near to him in prayer and to give thanks to the Lord for all that he's done for you through Christ our Saviour. For the Lord redeems his servants and no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. So there you have it. It's only a scraping of the surface, really, in all that this psalm contains. I hope I've whet your appetite. I hope you've been able to learn something that you can take away this morning and apply in your own life, in your own walk with Jesus. First of all, what is prayer? Well, prayer is talking to our Father about anything and everything. Prayer is talking to God, whether gathered as a church or with family and friends or alone in the silence of your room, praising him, thanking him, calling on his name, seeking his face, confessing your sins, asking for his provision and his help in your life. That's prayer. Secondly, the motivation for prayer comes from the joy of knowing that you are loved and that by God. It's not about guilt or pressure or ticking boxes. It's about spending time with the Lord, as the verse says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Prayer is the door to the banquet room of God. So use it often. Third, the content of prayer should generally follow the pattern of our psalm today with our eyes fixed on the Lord, remembering his goodness to us and asking him humbly for the things we need in our lives. A a useful, and perhaps many of you will already know it, a useful acronym since uh, David used uh, an alphabet system in the psalm who is an alphabet system on prayer, ACTS. What does its act stand for? A, for adoration. Start by turning your heart in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. Enter into his presence with that attitude of humble adoration for the Lord. Not with your own needs first, but with your thankfulness. Then confession. I think it's so important when we worship the Lord that we begin with confession. Our church service always begins with a prayer of confession, that we set before God our knowledge, that we're honest before him, that we do not deserve the grace that he pours out upon us. And so we speak to him about the things that we've done in our life that we know displease the Lord and give us reason to feel ashamed before him, asking for strength to persevere and overcome and put to death the trials of sinfulness. Out of that flows thankfulness and out of that finally supplication, asking God for the needs that we and others have. Acts. I hope you can remember that and go home and apply it in your prayer life. Finally, the spirit of prayer should be the spirit of the humble poor, not arrogant, not boastful or proud, but joyfully dependent on the mercy and grace of God. The better you know God, the better you can pray according to his will, and the better you will enjoy the experience of answered prayer. So instinctively then, we know that prayer should be a vital part of our daily Christian life, but if we're honest with God, our experience of prayer can become shallow and faltering. We need to repent, we need to come back to the cross, and we need to walk again recapturing that sense of prayerful dependence. To be a prayerless Christian, as we've seen, is to starve yourself of the very oxygen your soul needs to breathe in God's world. You're robbing yourself of joy, 
of the release of all the pressures and challenges of life. A prayerless Christian will very soon be a dead Christian. Not really a Christian at all. How many of us are not praying as we should? You'll see on the screen a picture of a book that I've just started reading myself. It's an updated version of Matthew Henry's A Way to Pray. I've been finding it helpful because it, uh, it uses the words of scripture to shape every prayer. And every chapter is organised into different aspects of prayer. So it's not a book you really read necessarily from cover to cover, but section by section and as the Lord leads, but it gives you the shape of prayer and at the back it has sort of a summary that you can use increasingly from memory. Also, you can look up the references to scripture for further study if you want to. Use the prayers as a way to open God's word. It's 100% biblical and it's good. To give you just one example of prayer from the book, Dear Lord, you've given us many exceedingly great and precious promises. They are all confirmed as yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Now let it happen to your servants exactly according to the word you have spoken. Let us draw water with joy from your wells of salvation. Let us suck and be satisfied from the breasts of your consolation. Let us drink deeply with delight from your overflowing abundance. Let the word you have spoken regarding your servants be established forever. And on it goes. Well, today we've been encouraged to pray, to commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to a regular life of prayer. As Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. So then, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for our church that we might stand firm in our faith in 2023 and beyond, that we might grow in wisdom, maturity, holiness, love and zeal for the Lord? Will you pray with me that we might taste and see that the Lord is good? Will you pray according to the promises of God and that we will be truly humble in our attitude in prayer? We might seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways so that he will hear us from heaven, forgive us our sins and heal our land. Will you pray with me in view of God's mercy that we might offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we worship you because you are the ever-living Lord of Lords. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. We rejoice in your love for us today. We confess again our shameful neglect of prayer. We ask that you would help us by your spirit to turn to you, to humble ourselves and to seek your face. That you would forgive us our sins and heal our land. That you would wipe away the tears of those who mourn. Help us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to undertake the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. And that in all these matters, you, would, you and you alone would receive the glory 
the thanks and the praise. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So yes, I've been thinking about this. I think we need to have a monthly church prayer meeting. Um, need to talk to the elders a little more. I know Derek has been wanting such for a while, so perhaps it's an answered prayer from a brother in Christ. Uh, we, need to, we need to pray. We need to see how we undertake that. We do have a prayer meeting planned in March, which will be at Yin's place, uh, but we need to move beyond that. Um, we'll take little steps, but we'll take faithful steps together. As we reflect on these things, I'm going to ask if the music team can come forward and we'll sing a song.